The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. As I sat and listened, thank you for the invitation. For those who have not met, I'm Thomas Cranmer. I have served as Archbishop under Henry VIII, but it may not be many months from now, after all of the things that have happened around the one you've asked me to speak about, Lady Jane Grey, it may not be many months that I'll be feasting in the house of Zion. Lady Jane Grey betrays which side of the, of the political spectrum you may fall upon. Who would have ever thought that the first female Queen of England would be 17 years old. Who would have ever thought that she would only reign for nine days? Yet that's what I'm convinced of. While many would declare that the one who had her put to death, and the one who will be putting many others to death, it seems, in fact, the rumors are, Around the Tower of London, the rumors are she will soon bear the name Bloody Mary. It was not, uh, it would not for me be comfortable to call her the first queen. For Lady Jane Grey came to the office not by seeking it herself, but by what she was presented with, which was the device of succession that had been written by her cousin, Edward VI. Well, could have been more than her cousin. It's common knowledge. Lady Jane Grey was being groomed to marry Edward VI. Of course, his untimely illness as a young man, that that untimely illness would prove the set that aside, but what to do? Let me back up. Lady Jane Grey, you may be aware that her grandmother was Mary Tudor, who was Queen of France, also sister to Henry VIII. And this one had a daughter named Frances, who is the mother of Lady Jane Grey. So as Edward VI came to his demise not many weeks ago, as he came to his demise, there were eight candidates according to the device of succession that had been written by Henry VIII. There were eight candidates that would be by right of blood next in throne for succession. Now, of those eight the first thing you notice is that all eight were women. The next thing 
which, of course, no woman had ever set upon the throne. Then the next thing was that everyone, of course, had been praying that Edward VI would live and that he would marry Lady Jane Grey and they would produce a male heir. But his sickness interrupted those plans. And now he's faced not simply with eight women to succeed him on the throne, and he, like his father, was not excited about that notion. But yet it was his father's device of succession that put that into play. But all eight, as he was looking at it, were faced, at least seven of the eight, he was faced with returning control of the throne back to the Roman church and popish popish direction and control. What an interesting man. His name was John Dudley. He was the Duke of Northumberland, became a close confidant of Edward and kept reminding him of these things. And apart from me, although eventually I signed off on it, apart from me, he began to meet with Edward during his days of sickness in between his delirium. And they wrote out a new device of succession. That device of succession said that, said that the throne would be given to the male heirs of Lady Jane Grey once she married. Well, little did Edward know that John Dudley was already in process since Lady Jane Grey would not be able to marry Edward As he was approaching his death, he was already working out an arranged marriage, and that arranged marriage would be with his son. And then with this Lady Jane Grey, he assumed that he would be able to control this, and Lady Jane Grey, this teenager, would soon give and make his son king, which of course would put him in even greater control. Little little did any of us realize those things that were happening. We were just only wondering about about the succession. So when we signed on to it, the final copy was that Lady Jane Grey would ascend to the throne and then to whomever she appointed that would succeed her. So we had signed it, and this Lady Jane Grey who had actually been groomed in the very palace of Henry VIII under his last wife. You do realize he had a series of wives. Under his last wife, an amazing, godly woman. I've had many conversations with her. Her name was Catherine Parr. I'm fearful for her under Queen Mary. If Queen Mary... Uh, moves as she has already moved toward Lady Jane Grey. I'm fearful for Catherine Parr and what will happen to her. A godly woman who was given charge to groom Lady Jane Grey to marry Edward VI, but what she did was lead her to Christ. And she began to make sure that she was educated. All of her education took place in Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. She was a very well-educated woman, Lady Jane Grey, far beyond her years and far beyond her gender. And everyone was fully aware of it. She had an unalterable commitment to Christ, had denounced the ways of Rome, and stood clear on the crucial doctrines of our Reformation. 
So I gladly signed this new device of success that would put her and none of the other seven who would have brought the who would have brought England back under the control of Rome. Then came the news Edward VI was dead. And then came the direction of the Privy Council under Edward VI, led by John Dudley to the, to the very castle where the newlyweds, John Dudley, uh, John Dudley found the newlyweds, Guilford Dudley, his son, and then his now new wife, Lady Jane Grey. She was informed that she was queen. I wasn't there, but I heard what she did. She immediately fell to the ground. I do not want this, were the first words of her mouth. Well, the same persuasion that Duke John Dudley used with Edward VI, he began to use with her. Lady, my lady, if you do not take the throne, then the throne will go back into the hands of Rome. You must take it. King Edward VI put your name in the device of succession directly. And your heirs are the ones that are to receive it. Of course, in the meantime, his son had married her. And he was right there as the words were given to Lady Jane Grey. She had collapsed to the floor. And after almost 12 hours of prayer... She came back and said, if this is the duty that God has placed before me, then I cast myself upon him. May he give me the strength and the wisdom to serve him. She wrote her letters to her mentors. One of her mentors actually was a reformer in Switzerland. His name was Bullinger, Heinrich Bullinger. And she had exchanged letters with him, and she was somewhat encouraged in these matters. And then so, but you had to move quickly because Prince Mary at the time is out saying that the throne is hers. Well, then you know what John Dudley did immediately. He took her. He brought her with his son, her husband, brought her and her father and her mother. And then they went in. They came down the Thames River. They arrived in front of the Tower of London. Everything had been arranged. That's where they would live initially. And they got out of the boat. And as they arrived, the processional was arranged with pomp and circumstance. She, with her husband just a few steps behind her, began to go to the Tower of London. And perhaps there was the first point of undoing. For carrying her train was her mother, Frances. Now, Englishmen want things done in order. And when they saw one who had a greater right to the throne than her in subservience carrying her train, the crowd immediately was muted. And people began to critique what they saw. Of course, little did they know that Lady Jane Grey had not sought this. But she had been directed, and so she arrives on July the 10th to take up her reign, not knowing that she would never go back down that river, not knowing 
she would eventually find that the place that had, she had made her palace would soon become her prison. The armies that were arranged to subdue Bloody Mary were outnumbered, outgunned. The navy that was sent to subdue the forces of Bloody Mary all committed treason to Lady Jane Grey, Queen Jane Grey, I prefer to call her. And they went over to the other side and almost all were appealing, not for religious purposes, but what would be the orderly thing to do. That, in fact, Mary, the daughter, cousin to Lady Jane Grey, but daughter to Henry VIII, is now the rightful heir. And she would be the rightful heir. And if not her, then her sister, her half-sister, Elizabeth, would be the rightful heir. And so while they had been willing for a one younger, Edward, to be the heir, they were not willing to leave the immediate house of Tudor for this 17-year-old cousin. They were told that it was in Edward's device of succession, but it mattered not. And it was not long until everything, all of the forces that had been sworn to, to defend Queen Jane Grey had abandoned her and had gone over to Mary. And Mary, with her army, marched into the Tower of London. And Lady Jane Grey immediately knelt and said, I am so glad. May I go home? But Queen Mary now would have no part of that. She put her and her husband, her husband's two brothers, and me, under arrest. Not many days hence, the six of us were conducted to Guilford Hall. It is there that three of us were convicted of treason and three of high treason, and all received the sentence of death. Originally, the sentence of death to Lady Jane Grey was that she was to be burned at the stake. Bloody Mary, she is soon to be called, if these rumors persist. But I'll just call her Queen Mary for the time. Queen Mary met with her, and on the one hand was very stern. On the other hand, recognized that she had not sought this, but had been drawn into it. So she offered her that she would show clemency and let her live if she would only return to the church at Rome. That's all she had to do. Maybe one of the best ways for you to understand her answer is to read a letter from her that she wrote from the Tower of London. She heard that her chaplain, in order to save his life, had recanted of his Reformation beliefs and had returned to Rome. And it is true that when she heard that, she decided that she would write him a letter. This is what she said to this one who had abandoned her savior, his Savior simply to save his life. She writes, 
Thomas, I cannot but marvel at thee and lament thy case, that thou, which sometimes were the lively member of Christ, but now you have become a deformed imp of the devil. Sometimes you were the beautiful temple of God, but now the stinking and filthy kennel of Satan. Sometimes you were the unspotted spouse of your Savior, but now the unshamedly paramour of the Antichrist. Sometimes you were my faithful brother, but now a stranger and an apostate. Yea, sometimes my stout Christian soldier, but now a cowardly, but now a cowardly runaway. Now, of an apostate, so oft as I considered the threatening and prom- the threatenings and promises of the divine justice to all those who faithfully love him, I cannot but speak of thee and to thee. Yes, cry out, cry out and exclaim against thee. You have become the seed of Satan. You are no longer of Judah. You are the one whom the devil has deceived and the world has beguiled. And your desire has now led you to the subversion of the truth of the God of glory. You have abandoned him. But I appeal to you. I appeal to you to return. I appeal to you to come to the Savior. In repentance. Well, that letter reveals she had no inclination that she would abandon her Savior. And so she did not. Mary did not give up. Mary sent her chaplain, John Fecken, Feckenham. She sent John Feckenham to try to, um, to try to get her to turn. I was not with her. But I was quickly informed of those nearby who wrote down the conversation. Cardinal Feckenham came to her and said to her, If you but return to the Catholic faith, you may avoid execution. The sentence has been changed that you will be beheaded, but you can avoid that if you return. They dialogued. How is a man right with God? Is it not by justification and works? Lady Jane said, Nay, we are saved by faith alone. Our works only manifest our faith. They add nothing to our salvation. What are the authorities of the church, Lady Jane? What are the authorities of the Christian, Lady Jane? There is but one. He then broke in and said, no, there are two, the church and the Bible. She declared, nigh, there is only one, that the scripture alone is our rule of faith and practice. He pressed on, how many sacraments are there? Lady Jane said, two, the one, the sacrament of baptism, and the other, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Beckenham, no, my lady, there are seven By what scripture do you find that, she asked him. Well, we will talk of these things hereafter. 
But tell me, Lady Jane Grey, what is signified by your two sacraments? And she then replied, By the sacrament of baptism I am washed with water and regenerated by the Spirit that, and, that, and declared clean in the Lord, and that washing is a token to me that I am the child of God. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper offered unto me is a sure sign and seal and testimony that I am by the blood of Christ which he shed for me on the cross. I am now a partaker of the everlasting kingdom. Feckenham pushed. Why? What do you receive in that sacrament? Do you not receive the very body and the very blood of Christ, Lady Jane? No, she replied. Surely I do not so believe. I believe that at the supper I neither receive his flesh nor his blood, but by bread and wine, which bread when, when broken and which wine when poured out, putteth me in remembrance how my Savior bore my sins on his body and how my Savior shed his blood on the cross for me. And when I partake of that bread and wine, I do spiritually receive the benefits that come to me by his body and by the shedding of his blood on the cross for my sins. Feckenham, why, Lady Jane, doth not Christ himself speak these words? Take eat, this is my body. Require you any other plainer words? Does he not say that bread is his body? <clears throat> and Lady Jane, I do grant to thee, my Lord, that he so says. But he also says, I am the vine. I am the door. He is never the more the door, nor a vine. Does not Paul say, he calleth these things that are not as though they are. God forbid that I should say that I eat the very body and blood of Christ, for then neither I should pluck away, my, neither shall I pluck away my redemption, or else Jesus must have had two bodies, or there must be two Christ, one body tormented on the cross, as if they did eat another body, then they had, then he must have had two bodies. Or if his body were eaten, then was it not broken on the cross? Or if it was not given on the cross, it was not eaten of by his disciples. When he gave that supper, how could he have two bodies, one to be eaten there and then one to go to the cross? Feckenham, why, is it not possible that Christ by his power could make his body both to be eaten and, and given? And to be born of a woman without man so as to walk upon the sea, having a body and other such like miracles as he wrought by his power only? Lady Jane, yes, verily. If God would have done at his supper any miracle, he might have done so. But I say that then he minded to work no miracle, but only to give his body and to shed his blood on the cross for our sins. But I pray you to answer me this one question. Where was Christ when he said, take eat, this is my body? Was he not at the table in that body when he said so? He was at that time alive and suffered, not till the next time he broke and gave, but even in that moment. And he gave them to eat, and yet all this time he himself was sitting there alive. 
and at the supper before his disciples, or else they were all deceived. He then finishes and says, I will be with you to the end, but I think I will see you no more. And then Lady Jane said, Thank you for your mercy to be with me. May God requite thee. And I agree, unless our Lord turns your heart and grants you repentance, we shall see each other no more. It was not many hours afterwards that she conducted by her two attendants and John Feckenham went to the scaffold. Queen Mary, at least, very graciously allowed that she would not be like her husband just hours before made a public spectacle, but in the wall of the Tower of London, within its wall, she would meet her end. And so the scaffold was built for her there. She mounted this scaffold with great dignity. Her attendants pulled back her collar. I, in a cell in that same tower, am aware of all that happened. She went up to Mr. Feckenham and thanked him for his kindness. She gave her prayer book and journal to one of her attendants to be given to others in order to be read. It's available, and I believe it will be available for perpetuity. She then went up to the executioner who said to her, Will you forgive me, my lady? And she placed her hand upon him and said, Willingly. She then took hold of the rail of the scaffold. She declared that she was guilty of transgressing the true line of succession, but that she had not done so knowingly, but only under invitation and direction. She as she called upon the Lord to forgive her of her sins. She then began and quoted Psalm 51 with those opening words, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. She then blindfold, put the blindfold on after asking the executioner, Will you strike before I am prepared? And the answer was given to her, No, my lady, I will not strike until you are properly prepared. Having given her gloves and her cloak to her attendants, having given her prayer book to Thomas Bridges, the brother of the jailer who had kept her for those months in prison, she then, at that moment, knelt on the straw by the invitation of the executioner. You could hear the words, Would you kneel upon the straw, my lady? She said gladly, she knelt, blindfolded. She knelt some distance so she could not find the block to lay her head upon it. Tradition is you don't help, but Feckenham, who had been so moved with her kindness, clarity, and boldness, 
broke such traditions and moved forward to help her find the block. She found it. She laid her head upon it. And as she laid her head upon it, she nodded for the executioner and then said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, Lord Jesus. Thus the teenage queen reformer became our martyr. I may soon follow her. I am grateful. I have learned from her faithfulness to Christ unto the end. Faithfulness to Christ unto his glory. I am reminded of many things that she would say. May I give you these and then close in prayer. She said from the scaffold, good people, I have now come hither to die. I have now come hither to die by a law, by the law I am condemned to the very same. The fact against the Queen's Highness was unlawful, and the consenting thereunto by me, but touching the procurement and desire to be Queen thereof by me was not on my behalf. I do wash my hands thereof in innocency before God and before the face of God, before you, these people. This day, I pray you all good Christian people bear witness to me that I die a cru- true Christian woman and I, that I do look to be saved by no other means, but only by the mercy of God, by the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. And I do confess that when I did know the word of God, I neglected the same in those days, loved myself and the world, but therefore this plague and punishment is happily and worthily come into my life unto me. I would deserve this and more for my sins. Yet I thank God that in his goodness and grace, he has given me time and a heart to repent. And now I am his and he is mine. I say to you all, pray for me now while I live. I need not your prayers when I die. Pray for me now that I will be faithful. Then to the block. And then, Lord, I commend to you my spirit. And then to the axe. And then to glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this one, even in her defense of the Lord's Supper, now brings us to this supper with only one confession for all who partake. Lord Jesus, we have no just deserts, but only punishment for our sins. Yet we stand forgiven by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Therefore, we now come to drink of the cup And eat of the bread, spiritually feasting upon all his benefits. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, 
visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.